As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and joining us as usual are The Athletic's Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten. We are recording just moments after Manchester United have confirmed the news that we, of course, brought you exclusively last week that Ralph Ranić is the choice as the interim boss at Old Trafford. We'll have all the reaction to that news, of course. Lots of insight on how it's been done. We'll also look back at what was a decent draw, really, under the circumstances at Chelsea, and also preview the match on Thursday against Arsenal as well. So, hello to Laurie. Hello to Andy. Laurie, I'll come to you first. So, Ranić has been confirmed. Manchester United released a statement a short time ago. What's your reaction? It's nice to be able to be on the ball with something. And yeah, it's been officially announced now, United confirming. And it was just a case of, I think, putting the finishing touches to the contract. Uh, and now that's signed. As you said, the work visa um, needs to be processed. So there's still a little bit of a, a debate over who will be in the dugout for the Arsenal game. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite glad that United have got it sorted pretty quickly. I know there's been a couple of games in between. And, you know, I wrote a, a sort of slightly sarcastic piece on ahead of the Villarreal game where, you know, talking about a caretaker to the interim, to the permanent manager being in place for such a pivotal game, but United have actually managed to navigate these two games pretty well. Um, I think Carrick's done a, a good job in the circumstances and yeah, on to Ranić's reign and, and let's see how he does. Yeah, just very quickly, Laurie, a- any nerves as, as the days went by and it wasn't officially confirmed that that, that Thursday <laughs> exclusive might be a little bit in jeopardy? No, fortunately, yeah, like I say, we've got a good team here and you know, multiple <laughs> people were saying it is happening, don't worry. And it's classic United, you know, they, they take their time on, on these things. Um, you know, there's, I guess with Brexit being um, implemented now, there's a few extra boxes to tick and sort of little details to finesse. Um, but no, speaking to, you know, the, the club, um, you know, privately, you knew it was Ranjit coming in um, and we can get into some details actually that what his reign might look like, you know, in terms of the coaching staff that he might have and um, what actually the consultancy after the six months might look like because I think that's a kind of interesting aspect to it all. Um, but no, yeah, uh, yeah, there is a, you know, wipe the sweat 
off the brow. United have confirmed it. It is quite pleasing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in terms of the statement then, Andy, as well, interesting that it's John Murta's name, the football director on this, and not Edward Wood or even Richard Arnold, maybe. And he says in there as well that Ralph's one of the most respected coaches and innovators, interesting word that, innovators in European football. He's the number one choice. What was your reaction to that, to that statement, Andy? A good one because it's football people making a football decision. John actually went to Germany uh, to see Ralph in 2019. So he has been on United's radar for a long time. That doesn't mean United were about to make a move at any point, but he's someone who United have known about and respected. And uh, when this position came up, he was the one who gave the, the best interviews. The... Other candidates, they did well, and United were interviewing right up until Wednesday afternoon, which is the, the Athletic broke the story on Wednesday afternoon, yet there were still people being interviewed on Wednesday afternoon, still people going to Manchester Airport thinking that they'd given a really good interview on Wednesday afternoon. So Darren Fletcher um, spoke most with, with Ralph Ranick, and he was most impressed by, by him, uh, followed by Rudy Garcia, and... When the news broke, I think it was greeted pretty optimistically by Manchester United fans. As a journalist, I picked up the phone. I spoke to all the people I know in Germany, agents, former players, journalists, and you build up a picture. And the picture that was coming back to me pretty quickly was a very, very positive one. And the only doubt seemed to be that he's a man who builds long-term projects and what could he do within a six-month time frame? but I didn't see any serious uh, red flags. And uh, Laurie will know as well, before the announcement, there were people within the club saying it's a no-brainer to get Ralph Ranić from the club's perspective. He wants to come. Um, his only demands were that he stayed on beyond the end of this season, which I can understand because he had a, a three-year contract in Moscow. So he's not just going to throw that away for six months in Manchester. He needs some security as well. You can't just move around every six months. So... It took some time to, to iron out, but I think United have actually done all right here. I think they, they've interviewed um, good candidates. They've chosen uh, the best candidate in their eyes and the fans will get behind him. I think they're excited. Um, there's some fans who knew about him. There are other fans saying, who on earth is he? But it's a big, important run of games coming up. So if he can get his ideas across as soon as possible then this season is not too late to salvage. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there, Andy, because I suppose a few people have kind of looked at it and gone, will he need to adjust to English football? I know it is, his appointment's been greeted pretty positively by a lot of people. I think they, they've heard, there's this exoticism about him, I suppose, this slight mystique, because you've heard a lot about him, you've seen the teams that he's helped produce in terms of RB Leipzig and Hoffenheim, but perhaps not knowing exactly what he's going to do, um, although the style of play is, is, is really intriguing. Um, but I think he the English side will be fine because he's been an Anglophile for a long, long time. Um, I spoke to somebody who's worked with him in the past and um, he was trying to sign Callum Wilson when he was at Coventry, for example, and Joe Gomez when he was at Charlton. So that's a long time ago and these players are obviously in the lower league so it's not like he's kind of trying to pl pluck players from the top flight. So, you know, I think he studied the English game a lot. So, I mean, listen, it's obviously you know, similarities between the Bundesliga and the Premier League in terms of the, the speed of it. Um, but I think he'll be able to kind of come in and his knowledge is vast. You know, as you, as you said, Andy, there, I think people have been impressed with how much um, experience and, and detail he's got to his work. So 63, yeah, he's, um, 
at the older end of the spectrum, but I think he still has great fire and energy about him as well. It was interesting, actually, that the technical view uh, written by John Muller on The Athletic, the headline of that really was the unfiltered aggression of Ralph Rangnick, Andy. That's got like a lot of the juices flowing for Manchester United fans. Unfiltered aggression at Old Trafford. Yes, please. Yes, please. United fans are desperate because it's been that bad. And I think they're prepared to give anybody a chance. So when they start hearing positive things about the style of football played under Ralph Rangnick, then that fills them with more optimism because that's been slipping over the last couple of months with the, the terrible defeats, conceding too many goals. I don't understand one of the things which the coaches went in who were applying for the job. Uh, they, they, they were saying this team is conceding far too many goals. But Rangnick's team... Teams, they've been famous for, for their pressing. As Laurie says, he's brilliant at identifying uh, players. He has that ability to spot a player at 17 and think that not only is he going to make it, but he's going to be able to make it at the top level. And there's loads of players who can thank him for their progress and loads of coaches as well. I've loved reading the stories over the last uh, few days uh, about how he, he tried out um, giving Thomas Tuchel a chance or Julian Nagelsmann, you know, really top coaches and he saw talent in them as twenty two year olds, which is which is incredible. And also as Laurie touched on him being an Anglophile, he st- he studied in, in Sussex in the, the late seventies. He joined a local football team. I'm loving the stories coming out of that. Andy Naylor did one for the athletic where he tracked down his old teammates and said that, you know, Ralph used to drink Coke and lemonade mixed and the hard drinkers of his team couldn't understand that. Uh, they spoke of a good man and someone who's really keen to learn. And he said he's always felt an Anglophile despite never having uh, coached there. And I like that. And I know that uh, Rudy Garcia, he always felt, for example, that England is the home of football. That is a real attraction for him to come and work here for the first time. And I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll, he'll get a job. But with Ranić. He's a real anglophile. He stood on the terraces. He went to games. He picked up all these details and he's clearly a very intelligent man. And there could be quite a nice ending to his professional career. As Laurie said, he's 63. He's not a 27-year-old anymore or a 47-year-old. But he's always had this yearning to work in England and now he's going to get a chance at a huge football club. So he's fitting together quite nicely. Laurie, the very mention of Coke and lemonade mixed had you putting your hand up. What, what, why so excited? He's a man after my own heart. Just because I get funny looks in the Old Trafford press box. Um, at Old Trafford, you can, you know, you get you, you can pour yourself the soft drinks, can't you? I mix Fanta with the Coke because I like to have a little, little, um, a yeah. little, a little what, <laughs> so, a little what, a little mix, a little mix up. It's, it's an added flavour, a bit of zest to the to the Coke, you know. And and people are looking orange at Fanta and Coke. Yeah, it's great mixed. Honestly, don't knock it till you tried it. And I, that's why I like going to Old Trafford, not for the football, but for the chance to mix Fanta with Coke. I I'll try, I'll try it on that. Thursday then. I'll try it in front of you two on Thursday before the Arsenal game and vomit <laughs> over both of you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't really know how we follow on from that, really. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't know, a bit of a tangent, that wasn't it. I thought it? you were a man of taste. We started the season talking about you no. eating crayfish at some random Swedish parties, and now we're talking about mixing Coca-Cola and Fanta. You've gone down in my estimations, Laurie. Well, actually, there was another Swedish party again, same same Swedes this weekend, uh, like a Christmas thing, kickoff, Christmas for kickoff, and they had gingerbread biscuits with blue cheese dip. It's another weird combo, but actually it works. 
I don't know why we've got here. From Ralph Ranyuk being appointed Man United manager to this. <laughs> and Ian's now thinking, help. where do I go with this now? I haven't got <laughs> I a wish clue. I could help you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I, I think we should talk about coaching staff. I think that's the most, uh, the most relevant way to move on. Speaking of unusual blends, um, <laughs> Ralph Ranyuk with oh, the current beautiful. coaching staff, Andy. Um, that's going to be the setup. Is he going to add to it, though? Well, he might bring some of his own people in. So what normally happens when a manager gets sacked is he takes his benchmen with him. So Van Hall came in, Mourinho came in, Moyes came in. They bring the benchmen, their assistant. You know, they might bring a physio or whatever. This is slightly different. And I think that suits United, not least because they've given new contracts to many of those existing benchmen. And I think one of the prerequisites of what Manchester United said was we want to cause as little disruption here as possible clearly he's the number one clearly he makes a decision maybe the views of some of the coaches will become more marginalized or more important maybe he'll do what Jose Mourinho did with Kieran McKenna and think this guy's a talent I'm going to give him a louder voice maybe he'll think the opposite of that that's his choice he's now the boss and the coaches who we've spoken about Michael Carrick I think he's done actually really well in his week in charge so far if you'd have said a week ago get a, re- a win in Villarreal and a draw against Chelsea away. We'd have had that, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think we would all have had that. But I also think he's carried himself well in terms of his, his media before matches, after matches, um, giving decent answers to football questions. And I think that a lot of fans have become a little bit tired of Solskjaer's responses in the media. They loved him, but they could see that he was floundering a little bit as the pressure really took hold in the final few weeks. Um Michael Carrick seems very comfortable when he's talking about football and tactics and he's had decent results. So in an ideal world, Ralph Ranić might come in and go, you know what, we've got the next great coach here already and I don't know who that'll be. Might be Mike Phelan. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's, he's the man. We just don't know, but I think it needed somebody to come in and oversee everything and, and that is the man. He might have his trusted lieutenants. That tends to happen an awful lot in football and... That that's fine. There's no 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 issue there. And then what will happen as the season goes on is the attention will turn to who's going to replace him then. And if he's winning every single week, people are going to start altering the views on that as well. Yeah, we've got all that to look forward to, haven't we? And there's something quite uh, familiar and nice about speaking to Michael Carrick because when he was a player at Manchester United, he always used to be the one who got wheeled out when there was a result that that wasn't brilliant because he was the one who was trusted to be able to say the right things and set the right tone after a disappointing result, which, of course, sort of post-Ferguson, he was involved in quite a few of those, unfortunately. And to sort of be sat in the press conference on Friday, asking an opening question about sort of Rangit coming in and sort of negotiating all that, and him just sat there with a smirk on his face, <laughs> giving me a straight bat, seemed quite familiar, actually. Um, us three dominated that press conference, didn't we, really? It was the talk of the Devils press conference, the opening section. Um, Laurie, just in terms of Carrick, then, um, he's done himself no harm this week at all. We'll talk about Chelsea in a moment, but just the way he's conducted himself, like Andy said, and his team selection, especially, the idea of having a plan and that involving big names not being involved in that is refreshing, isn't it? It, yeah, he's really seized the mantle for this period. You know, uh, you could look at it and think, right, well, I'm caretaker, so I'm just gonna kind of play it safe and um, just negotiate these two games and, and be able to kind of defend my team selection, whatever. But he's dropped Bruno Fernandez for the Villarreal game and he's dropped Cristiano Ronaldo for the Chelsea game. You know, there's no other way of, of saying it. 
um, pretty bold, a streak of authority. Um, so that's what I wrote in my athletic piece this morning. And clearly he had, you know, sort of slightly different um, ideas for each game to approach them, both, I think, with the premise of keeping a clean sheet first and foremost, so being safe, really. Obviously, the midfield three at Stamford Bridge was, was with that in mind. I think Fred did really well in terms of sort of some of the interceptions he made, although he, he messed up that shot <laughs> in the end. It shouldn't have been a shot, it should have slipped in Jesse Was Lingard. that definitely a shot? Um, I, I don't know if it's been confirmed. Was that an attempt at goal? <laughs> well, I mean, Ronaldo was at the far stick, wasn't he, open? If it was a cross, it was. I think it was an even worse cross. If that was the case, so I think I'm giving benefit of doubt by saying it? it's a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fred, mate, and also you know, nutmegs, you know, Rudiger, I think was it, and and then goes down for a, you know attempted penalty. Um, yeah, uh, peculiar. He did some really good stuff, and then sort of messed it up basically. Um, I also think Scott McTominay did really well in terms of his positioning, looking after that extra wing back, you know, the wing back and the winger situation that Chelsea have got, sort of dropping into defence at times, um, sort of doing an unglamorous part of the job well. Um, but I think that's what that's what Carrick had in mind. And now it's interesting hearing, we heard Paul Scholes on BT Sport talk about whether Carrick should still be there. Roy Keane also mentioned it on Sky Sports, sort of questioning whether Carrick should have gone with Solskjaer. And I think in one way you can look at it and go, well, Clearly, Carrick and McKenna were leading the coaching sessions under Solskjaer, so they obviously hold responsibility for the results as well. Um, some responsibility. I think the slight difference in my mind is that clearly now it's Carrick picking the team, whereas it was, was Solskjaer picking the team before, and maybe he had slight difference of opinions over who should start certain games. And clearly, he's made these bold decisions straight away, so you have to think that that was the case. And also, Carrick... You know, predates Solskjaer anyway uh, as a coach at Manchester United, so he was you know brought in with Jose Mourinho. So was Kieran McKenna. So it's it's slight. It's perhaps not as simple as a usual situation where a manager's been brought in with coaching staff and everyone leaves at the same time. And clearly, United feel that they have got potential Carrick and, and McKenna as, as sort of young coaches. And if they can stay on board, Ralph Rangnick can come in and perhaps assess them and say yes, actually, they're, they're great coaches. This is what they need to do better. And, and they, he can offer some advice to the board in terms of what their futures might hold. So I think that's a kind of interesting element to it all as well. Um, but no, I think Carrick has spoken well. As you say, the straight bats to the Ralph Rangit questions that trying to dominate the, the Friday press conference. You know, we all tried, didn't we? A few little different ways of asking. And uh, yeah, it was sort of as comfortable passing those off as he, as he was on the pitch as a player sort of retaining possession. So um, no, I've been quite, quite impressed by Carrick, really. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, let's react to Chelsea then because it was a 
a pretty decent draw under the circumstances for Manchester United. Like Andy referred to earlier in the podcast, we probably would have taken it ahead of what was looking like a really tough week for United. Let's start then by hearing from the man that we've just been talking about, the caretaker manager, Michael Carrick. Disappointed, actually, um, when you're in front in a game like this. To uh, have it taken away from me like it was is, um, is disappointed. Immensely proud of the players, immensely proud of, of the whole group, the staff and, and the players all week in difficult situation and trying to make the best of it, you know, can't hide from that. Um, it's, it's been tough at times, but we've made the best of it and I'm, I'm immensely proud of the response and the, and the way we've gone about it this week. But yeah, there's that, there's that little bit of feeling really that we've, um, we came here to win the game. You know, we had a plan, we came here to win the game. We were positive in our mindset and our attitude for that. So we were a little bit disappointed, yeah, I, I, I can't lie. I don't think it was a penalty, no. It, I don't think it was a penalty. I think they've obviously had a, they've had a lot of play and they've, they've had shots. David's had... Probably two two saves, which I kind of knew before the game. At some point, he's going to have to make one or two for us. But other than that, I, I, I felt quite comfortable in the game. I have to say, of course, we want to be better in terms of having the ball and possession. And you know, I'm not getting carried away with that. Was a fantastic all-round performance. But I thought we defended ever so well. I thought the attitude was absolutely top from the boys and um, putting bodies on the line when we had to and um, sticking together and working back and tracking back and. Um, We've obviously got to do the other side a little bit better, but I cannot fault the boys one one bit from today. Yeah, Andy, the the sort of impressive thing really about Michael Carrick, like we said a moment ago, was, was sort of the idea of having a plan and the team selection. And one sort of um, accusation that was put his way uh, after the Chelsea game was that Ralph Rangnick had a say in the way that United lined up at Chelsea. And this idea that all the headpieces and earpieces and whatever you want to call them, all the coaching staff had on, was like a line to Ralph, but that's been put to bed, hasn't it? Yeah, it was put to bed straight away, and partly by people who did actually plan how Manchester United would play, who felt that others were getting credit for their work, and there's loads of people behind the scenes who did... did Carrick doesn't just rock up and think, right, we'll go with this formation today. He's led by detailed information, which takes a long time to bring together. So for... People then to see their work being credited to someone else. It wasn't ideal uh, for them. That's why United pushed back so strongly. Yeah. And Michael Carrick did. And I think there were a couple of questions where he pushed back himself. And I quite like that. He stood his ground and he's, and people and he just said, well, look, I'm talking to you here. And a little bit of, a, of an edge to him. And he had some good opinion in there as well, which people want to see. It doesn't need to be opinion like uh, Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher going at each other. And he can't be like that because you're the manager of Manchester United and you wouldn't be if you started going absolutely mental after after matches. But if there was a question he didn't like or there was a point he didn't like, he put his view across. He said it wasn't a penalty. I actually disagree with him there. I thought it was a penalty. But we're allowed to, we're allowed to agree or, or, or disagree. So he looked good. He looked decent in the suit. He gave detailed answers. The final question I asked him in the press conference on Friday he gave a really good answer about the way that Chelsea play and then you could see that he had the courage in his own convictions to choose the team that he chose uh, he skipped the question I asked him on Fred I think he forgot about that which is a bit of a shame because Fred did really well in the second half in Villarreal and I thought he did really well at Stamford Bridge as well could have just topped it off by smashing that in at the end instead of that weak chip which looked like a four-year-old had chipped it but we'll forgive him, he played well. Just would have been the stuff that dreams are made of. Right in front of the United section, a late winner from Fred. 
but we can dream. It'd have been the most unlikely chip in London since John O'Shea, probably in 2004 or 5, whenever it was. I, I still remember his face after he scored that. Even he couldn't believe what had quite happened, could he? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Andy, one thing actually you tweeted about Manchester United's deep defensive line. You said if they went any deeper, they'd be in the Thames. Do we care? Uh, is that no, no, no. Of, that, that, was, that, was that necessary because of the players who were available, considering no Maguire, no Varane, no Luke Shaw? I didn't care. And what I did do is just check my geography before I tweeted that to make sure that the Thames was actually behind the shed end. I was pretty certain that it was, <laughs> and, and, it, and it is. You know there's like a big river in London, yeah? It's like... But if it would have been behind the other end, people would say, well, actually, if they're retreating, no, they wouldn't. They're going to end up in Hampstead. So... <laughs> I, 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 Great detail, I, I made, Andy. That I is made the, sure... That, that is the work you put in. So you weren't actually checking whether it was the River Thames, you were checking if it was at the right end of the pitch? Yeah, I wanted my, I wanted I my point that. to be accurate, and I do like wow. geography, yeah. and I do like maps, so I, I consulted one, yeah. and I could see <laughs> that the Thames is actually behind the shed end. And the point is true. United were extremely deep, Chelsea dominated, and I think United knew that was going to happen. That's why it made it even more of a buzz when United went ahead. And I just had a little sneaky feeling that United would nick something from the game. And I'm not normally a betting man at all. I've not had a bet for six months on football. But I put £20 on Manchester United to win at 5-1. to one. And I'm thinking, I'm on my way here. And then, Aaron, what on earth are you doing there? But there you go. <laughs> no wonder you were looking forward to Fred chipping that ball in. Absolutely. Yes, I was. Uh, Laurie, in your sort of view of Chelsea, you spoke about this mobile front three, not picked by Ralph, picked by the current coaching staff. Uh, Jaden Sancho again that shimmy my goodness you could take me out for dinner with that shimmy absolutely brilliant wasn't <laughs> it certainly sat Edward Mendy down no question about that um, but the way that, that that three functioned winning the ball back high up again you know leading to the goal in, in a sense nearly leading to another goal with Fred and also obviously a continuation of, of little glimpses that we've seen in recent games, uh, certainly in Villarreal as well. That's going to be encouraging for Ralph, isn't it? That's the type of things that he'll be looking for, surely. You've got to think he's going to be excited to work with Jaden Sancho. Just the way he's now coming into his own, the confidence that he looks to be showing and the energy, you know, the way that he is pressing, you know, high up. Um, I mean, the, the finish was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? The, the Elvis Presley sort of, knee quiver almost, you know, and, and watching it, obviously it was a long time that he was through on goal with Rashford sort of running alongside him and he kept checking and I'm thinking he's going to get caught in two minds here, he's not going to know what to do and then ice cold way to finish it and it was, you know, absolutely super. He was caught in suspicious minds, Laurie, wasn't he? Oh, there we go. There we <laughs> said Elvis, didn't you? I'm pretty sure. That's yeah. why they pay you the big bucks, Ian. Move on, please. <laughs> and uh, and but I mean, the, the, yeah. So United won possession back six times in the final third, only against Newcastle this season. Have they done that more times? So seven. And it wasn't all because of Rashford, Sancho, and, and Fernandez. Let's get that clear. There was a uh, the, the Fred chance was obviously Lingard pressing Mendy. Um, Ronaldo even um, did a bit of a job out to the left, and, and then Fred intercepted it in the second half. So um, yeah, it was. It's not that he, you know he couldn't do that kind of thing but you just think that over the course of a game the younger players that they've got there they're just going to be able to do that more frequently so whilst clearly it wasn't a Rangnick team you could almost sort of perhaps think that Carrick was half thinking what might work with it with Rangnick in, in charge you know that's up to him to sort of say yes or no um, but clearly it was it was his decision um, yeah the, the earpieces was an interesting debate that people were sort of talking about but as Andy said it was a, an analyst in the stands that Fletcher had in his ear um, he was up and down quite a lot Darren Fletcher you know we're, we're really close to the dugout 
And it was quite interesting to see how involved he was with not only the tactical side of things in terms of at one point he told Aaron Wambasaka to push on um, higher up the pitch and also the officiating. He would not stop about the officiating. He was, you know, in the ear of the fourth official, David Coote, and even sort of talking to Anthony Taylor at half time. So that's a kind of interesting one. I wonder if that'll be the case when Ralph Ranick comes in, because obviously Darren Fletcher is the technical director, so it'd be interesting to see does he go back to the stands or does he quite like being on, on the bench? Um that's something I suppose for them to work out between them. Um, I don't think but- he can actually go back into the stands because of the COVID restrictions, as far as I understand, because he has to remain in the red zone if he's going to be part of the of the team on a on a match day. If he wants to be in sort of the dressing room areas and things like that, there's no yeah. way he can go up into the stand. Are you talking sort of more generally about whether he's going to remain as a hands-on coach? as well as a technical director. Yeah, so obviously he doesn't have to go in the dressing room. He's, he's the technical director. He doesn't, you know, there's no other technical director I know that goes in the dressing room, which is not to say it's it's a bad thing. You know, he's obviously got, you know, great coaching skills as well. He's he's popular with the players and has given, for example, Paul Pogba some good positional insight that he's, he's benefited from. But um, yeah, I just, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bit of clarity on that role. That's all I sort of think might be required. But um, but no, he was certainly an engaging presence to watch. You know, sometimes when the match was sort of drifting um, along, you know, he was actually more entertaining than the football. But um, And listen, Ralph Ranić himself has got that fiery temperament. He, there was that moment when he went onto the pitch in Germany to show the ref um, on his phone a replay of a, of a controversial decision and he's sort of getting in amongst it with the opposition players and kind of standing his own ground and I think that that is another a- aspect to him that I think United fans might quite like the kind of he, he, he's confident he knows himself uh, Ranić obviously so um, yeah but back to the game um, and I, you know I thought United did, did okay clearly Chelsea were the better team and they had chances that really another day they should have won the game quite comfortably. I agree with Andy. I thought it was a penalty, a sort of poor decision from Wambasaka really to to kick like that in a in a difficult situation. But the goal itself for me did come from that idea that, you know, push hard, press high, um, Sancho and Rashford both chasing Jorginho and that kind of brought the, the mistake out of him. You, you've seen other times where United haven't pushed out as aggressively as that and, and therefore, you know, the chance isn't at all created. I know that Thomas Tuchel said that it was a Chelsea goal that that they gave United, but I do think there's a you know a way that um, United actually pushed Jorginho into that mistake. Um, it's just a shame, really, that United couldn't kind of hold on for the victory, even though it would have been a bit of a smash and grab. With Fletcher, good, good, good. I'm pleased that someone like him is involved. I'm pleased that he's interviewing prospective candidates, absolutely grilling them on the style of football. Give me that any day over an agent dropping his client in and not doing the background research. Darren Fletcher doesn't even need to be at United. He doesn't need the money. Some of the coaches said they need the money. They need to be working. He made enough as a footballer to be absolutely comfortable uh, for life. He's lived in Manchester a long time. He cares deeply about Manchester United. I love the fact that he consumes himself in football, that he gives us feedback on articles, that he subscribes to The Athletic, that he picks you up on things you've said in interviews, that he gives you really detailed responses. And if he's going to be on the side of the bench um, shouting and giving instructions, I'm all for him doing that. I've got no problem with that. I get Laurie's point, some clarity maybe for his role, but I don't really care. If he just wants to be so consumed by the whole thing, and and hopefully Ralph Ranjit can see that there's a talent there. Or he might think he's an absolute knob and think I don't want him anywhere near me first team. But 
one standout from last week was that football people were making the decisions for Manchester United's next manager. That is huge. That is huge. And as you, you're right to say, Ian, that, that John Murtzer was the one quoted. That's refreshing. Interesting you know, that. Yeah. yeah. It's a, That's a change, isn't it? Absolutely. And I love Andy's passion there. You want people that have got the club at heart. I think we've obviously had this debate about let's not just make it an all old boys school, you know. Um, but I think you have to have people that care for the club. The dog agrees. United first. The dog agrees. We've got agreement woofing along in the background. And yeah, and, and uh, the football element, and that is what I think is integral here. And also, again, we talked about the coaches and the managers, but, you know, Ralph Ranyett can, you presume, give some good advice to John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher. He's, he's been in the game a long, long time. He's dealt with agencies understood what it is to build a squad from nothing um, and you'd think that they would love to tap into his expertise. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay then, Arsenal next. Andy, what does your dog think about this game then? It's going to be uh, rough, 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 isn't it? Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. Look, I can't. This dog, which I've only owned since January, has never interrupted a single podcast. Within one hour <laughs> of Ralph Ranić signing, she's going absolutely mad and talking in German dog language that she approves. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I know. What's your dog called? Annie. Annie the dog. She's a she's a bulldog, a British bulldog. I was expecting some sort of United link for the name of your dog, but did one of the children name it? Yeah, I, I tried to um, call her after former players, but no, the, the kids the kids won the day there. So, but both the grandparents are called uh, Anne and Anna, <laughs> so the kids went for it. I had to clear it with both the grandparents. Excuse me, do you mind uh, a dog being named after you? Because <laughs> I thought it was a bit weird, <laughs> but they were both sweet. What an honour! <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> well, I've never had a dog named after me. So, yeah, I guess it's a, a life goal for us all now. Uh, right, I'm I, sort of supposed to be talking about Arsenal at this point. Um, Laurie, we don't know if Ralph Rangnick's going to be in the dugout for this game yet, do we? The end of the statement sort of said Carrick will remain in charge until a work visa is finalised for Rangnick, which is sort of open-ended really, isn't it? Yeah, it's too, TBC. Um, it just depends on how quick they can get it all processed. I think the... You know, as I said, they were, you know, not delays, but they were still sort of negotiating the finer points of his contract, and and you sort of can't really progress the work permit application until that's all signed and sealed. So, yeah, I mean, we've got like what is it, seventy two hours now. Let's see if he's in charge. Um, you know, you presume that he will be at Old Trafford, whatever, um, and you know he'll be trying to introduce himself to the coaches and to the players now that it's all been finalised. Um, but yeah, the actual, you know, part of him working at um, Old Trafford on that day, um, yeah, is, is left to be seen, um, and it'd be, it, I think it would be quite good if they if they could get it sorted, just because it's us, it's a big game, it's a night game. Introduce him to the fans ahead of 
ahead of kickoff. You know, we saw the kind of effect that Rafa Varane's announcement had before the game against Leeds and, and obviously Ronaldo's impact against Newcastle. So, you know, a hat-trick of introduction before home games and hopefully another 4-1, 5-1 win. That'd be quite nice. Yeah, that would be quite a way to kick off Ralph's reign, wouldn't it? Certainly. Uh, Rafa Honigstein, Andy, uh, has done a Q&A on The Athletic. There's there's lots of interesting detail in there, lots of questions being put to him from Manchester United fans. Um, one of the points about it is obviously we, we've sort of put to bed this idea that, that Ranić had any influence over the team selection against Chelsea. It's likely that he's going to have an influence, I think, on the team selection against Arsenal, even if he's not officially in charge for that game, given the fact that United have now announced his arrival. Um, and it's the point of on Ronaldo, isn't it, really? He was obviously rested, rotated, dropped, however you want to term it, for the match at Stamford Bridge. Uh, and, and this sort of pressing style that, that Ranić has pioneered and driven really over in Germany, how exactly he fits into that and how the team sort of functions around that. So Hung had, had asked um, Rafa Honigstein, do you think Ralph will automatically start Ronaldo in games now, given his seeming inability to press? Uh, and Rafa's response was that he thinks that Ranić will be more flexible now in the autumn of his career. I mean, he's going to have to find a place for Ronaldo and he's going to have to find a way to make it work. It'll be interesting, Andy, to see if he is in the team against Arsenal straight away. I think the Rafa questions are really good and you get what you pay for. You, you pay to subscribe to The Athletic. You get that level of expertise of someone who knows his career uh, really well. The Ronaldo question is one which is being asked. He was dropped by Michael Carrick at Chelsea. I think that was probably the right decision. I actually thought he was quite poor when he came on and United actually regressed because of him and he failed to pick up Christian Pulisic who went past him and put the, the cross over which gave Chelsea a really good chance uh, towards the end. It seems like the elephant in the room somehow with Ronaldo because he's like the opposite to the style of football which Ralph Ragnick's teams play. I'm not sure if there's been any conversation about Ronaldo. Ronaldo certainly got his own voice and got people pushing uh, for him. And I still think he's got something to offer. We've seen that since he's come. He's got them winners, he's got some great goals. But it's a really interesting question because I don't know the answer to it because... Does he just get people running around him? You could argue that's always been the case with Ronaldo at Manchester United, even in his first time. You can get away with that with one player. Barca did it with Lionel Messi for a long time. It became a problem when they were having to do it for Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez. Would you be thinking, therefore, that Cavani, if he does play again, because he's not playing enough games and we're seeing similarities with last season, which is a shame because he's a great player, Will Cavani be playing up front with Ronaldo? Those two played up front together at Tottenham and that worked really well because clearly they're both top, top players. I just don't know, but I'm fascinated by it, the, how he's going to go with the tactics because just not starting Ronaldo is a really big move because he earns so much money, such a big deal for the club and still in football. And from his perspective, he can argue that he's still delivering. He's a major voice in the dressing room. I said last week on the podcast that... He took the squad to task before the Watford game and in an encouraging way, look, this has got to stop and it didn't stop. So it'd be really interesting. I never expected him to play all the games, but I think he did. I think that's what drives him. <laughs> Someone needs to mention it to him, Andy, don't they? <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah, there's not many players' inclusion or exclusion that can cause an argument 
where Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher nearly come to blows live on television, <laughs> to be fair. So it's, it's definitely a big talking point. There's no doubt about that. Lots of good questions, like you were saying, lots of interesting detail in that article on The Athletic at the moment, the Q&A with Rafa. There's people asking about, uh, do you see him becoming permanent manager if he does really well? That's a question from BD Mariam. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, and Rafa Onyxstein says it's not impossible which is interesting, the Solskjaer clause, shall we call it. Uh, and obviously the key question as well, Laurie, how do you say Macfred in German? Which um, the response is Das Vita Transfer Fenster. So there you go. Which I believe is the winter transfer window, which is very, very uh, sarcastic and sardonic from uh, our Mr. Honigstein. Um, who, you know, as I say, I thought McTominay and Fred were actually pretty good at Chelsea. Yeah, they were actually. And, and, not so much my German there. No, yeah, I think you pronounced, yeah, you took it slow and you, and you got there. Slow with sort of confidence and move on swiftly, I've always been told, if you're struggling with that. Um, right, if Ralph isn't in charge for the Arsenal game, and Michael Carrick is, uh, just to round this off, what do we expect from Manchester United? We, they need to win, don't they, really? I mean, the, the draw against Chelsea was decent, but they need to get back to winning ways in the Premier League, especially at Old Trafford, Andy. Yeah, and Arsenal are playing really well. They're winning. They had that bad start to the season. Not only are they winning, they're keeping clean sheets. They've kept, in the last four wins, they've not conceded a goal. I know they got hammered by Liverpool, who beat them 4-0. But I know at the start of this season, agents were putting calls in to Arsenal to try and put their managers in there because they felt that Mikel Arteta was going to be sacked. No, Arsenal said right from the lowest points in, in August and September, were sticking with him. And they've been vindicated in doing that, if the current form's anything to go by. Reminds me a little bit of um, Arsenal at Old Trafford towards the end of Jose Mourinho's time at Old Trafford. I think it was a 2 all draw about this time of year, um, a midweek home Premier League game, because we don't get many of them either. It's a big game. We say we say it about every game, but it, it is a really big game for Manchester United because looking at the table now, Arsenal are comfortably above Manchester United and you've got to be thinking Manchester United should be getting in the top four to get into the Champions League and they are a direct rival. I think a title challenge is looking 100%. improbable right now and they're a good team, so it'll be, be good to measure where Manchester United are at right now because I don't think you can go ultra-defensive against Arsenal at Old Trafford because at some point United fans are going to be going what? We've got all these attacking players and the players are so deep that they're in just check my map the Trafford Centre <laughs> that's not going to happen at Old Trafford very good very good um, in terms of the fixture list as well really really interesting this and please bear with me I'll ask you a question at the end of this Laurie I promise so after Arsenal between the Arsenal game which is obviously the first match of December and the first match of March, United have Crystal Palace, Young Boys, Norwich, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves, Aston Villa, West Ham, Burnley, Southampton, Leeds, Watford, and then the Manchester Derby on the 5th of March. In terms of a run for Ralph to get started, Laurie, that's pretty good, isn't it? This remark, I didn't realise it was that extent. I sort of look a couple of games in advance and that's about it for me, uh, for me planning preparation. But yeah, that sort of looks like a a fixture list that he can really get his teeth into. And, you know, we saw what Solskjaer did when he came in, um, you know, all those wins in a row. You'd love that to be repeated um, for, for, for Ralph Ranić, And, you know, I suppose that is 
you know, one one point of making the change now rather than um, you know when it was sort of suspected that it could happen over the uh, November international break. Um, yeah, but I mean, clearly Thursday. I agree. Thursday is the the start of it all. Where if they can get a good result there, then you know it sort of sets the momentum. It keeps the momentum going, I suppose. Um, and I agree that you can't. I don't think Carrick, if it is in charge, I don't think Ranić, if, if he is in charge, can kind of go the same way as the Chelsea game. I think that was a defensive mindset just to sort of get through the game and, and come away with a point. Probably, I think that was, you know, I, I know Michael Carrick said they were looking to win the game, but I think ultimately they would have had a point in advance. Um, so that I, I think that would mean Ronaldo comes back into the team. Um, it was clearly the big issue of of, Sun, of, of Sunday yeah, against Chelsea. Um, I asked Carrick about it afterwards and he mentioned specifically that the way that Chelsea get the ball into Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek in midfield was something he wanted to kind of stop. So you've got Sancho and Rashford ideally kind of cutting off those passing lanes. Um, so that was a, a specific tactical plan for that game. So Arsenal, you think, is a, is a different um, circumstance and you know uh, Arsenal have looked good defensively. Aaron Ramsdale has been pulling out saves. Um and Ben White as well has, has looked really good. Two players that I think a lot of people scrutinised, including myself, as, as big money signings in the summer. Well, okay, they they look like actually maybe in the fullness of time, um, they'll be they'll be good signings and worth the money. So, um, but they look like they've got a good idea about the Arsenal and United will need to be at the at the top. You know, they, they'll need to be creative and 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 flexible. I think to get through them. Okay, brilliant, Laurie and Andy. Thank you so much for joining us as always on Talk of the Devils. Had a bit of everything that didn't it. Quite literally, it was food and drink, animals, a bit of geography as well. Fantastic. Right, um, we need to explain. So, thank you for listening today, of course, everyone at home. If you're expecting the next Talk of the Devils to drop on Thursday, probably expect it on Friday morning because myself, Laurie and Andy are all going to be at Old Trafford on Thursday night for the Arsenal game. And our plan at the minute, this could change, but at the minute we're going to record after the final whistle at Old Trafford and I'd expect that podcast to drop a little later than usual on the Friday morning where we'll of course be reacting to the Arsenal game and also looking ahead to Crystal Palace on Sunday as well but like I say for the minute thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed that info on Ralph info on Annie info on Coca-Cola and Fanta Mixed we'll see you on the next one take care bye bye Athletic.